If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Internet Marketing. Welcome back to the show where we give you the lowdown, the inside information, the word from the experts to help you use the internet as part of your marketing machine. Internet marketing is brought to you by Academy Internet at academyinternet.com and Wireworld Media at wireworldmedia.co.uk. Hello everyone, Internet Marketing episode 32. The new Zoom is out, what that means to podcasters. I'll be chatting to Dan about that. Amazon brings out its new Kindle, another interesting little device there, what that means to bloggers. And alien technology takes over the world, or is it viral marketing? We'll also be talking to Mark Happystock, who is running a business that's making great use of the internet for delivery. All coming up on Internet Marketing. Hello everyone, Andy here with Daniel, um, uh, internet marketing guru. And let's start off, Daniel, with some interesting news. Mm. Uh, A couple of news items, well, a couple, about four actually, uh, since we last spoke, because quite a lot has happened. Let's talk um, about the Zoom, of course. I know this has got you excited because of the, uh, the podcasting possibilities. Well, of course, the story is that about two weeks ago, the new Zoom came out, and... The Marketplace, which is a software that comes with the Zoom, it's like Microsoft's equivalent to iTunes, because, of course, the Zoom is from Microsoft, um, is rather interesting because it now features a much sort of fuller support for podcasting. And, of course, the Zoom can also now download podcasts wirelessly, providing that it is connected, I believe, to a power source. So we haven't quite reached the holy grail of podcasting with the Zoom, but it's certainly a, a move in the right direction. Now, the, the significance here, of course, is that if you are a podcast producer, you need to do two things. First of all, you need to get your podcast feed registered with the Zoom marketplace. And that's quite easy to do. Just download the marketplace, the Zoom marketplace software, and go to the podcast section of the marketplace and towards the bottom right hand corner there's a little link that says suggest a podcast or suggest a new podcast just click that and uh, whack your feed url in press the button and be patient because those guys i think they've only got about three or four guys on it and they're they're absolutely frantic at the moment getting these various podcast feeds into the marketplace there's not too much of a selection process as long as you've got an image and it's not rude 
you'll end up in there. So that's quite exciting. You any comments on that, Daniel? Well, I, the thing that interests me is that you've got the Zoom marketplace, you've got iTunes, and it's just how much is it going to be fragmented by having lots of different players and different kind of um, industry standards, the sites, basically, that people are going to to subscribe to podcasts. Um, and it's like all these other technologies, whenever they come out, there's a bit of a battle at the beginning for who's got kind of ownership of it all. And it ends up actually being a bit awkward for the user at the end of the day because they've got to subscribe in several different places depending on what they're using. I mean, <clears throat> my feeling is that iTunes has got such a great lead on everything else at the moment that iTunes is the place to focus on. But there's no harm in using, you know, subscribing to Zoom, getting your podcast subscribed because at the end of the day, there's very little work involved in doing it in the first place. Um, I was just thinking if I was a, a an iTunes user, a podcast user, and I'd moved over to get a Zoom, um, I think it was a bit of a pain that I had to resubscribe to all of my podcasts and a different piece of software. But, you know, that's, that's the technology, unfortunately. Well, a lot of people are very excited that uh, iTunes has now got some more competition. I think that's a, that's a good point, actually, because iTunes has been expanding, but it's not been the most usable piece of software, and it's getting better all the time. Um, the problem is with the new podcast touchscreens coming out, um, they're all very popular on the iPhone. There's a lot of buzz around it at the moment. I don't think anyone's making that much headway on it at the moment, but... You know, at the end of the day, if it's a wireless product and you can subscribe wirelessly, it's fantastic. Which, in a way, links on to the next news item, I suppose, in terms of uh, the Amazon product as well. Well, before we go there, let's just go on to the second thing that podcast producers need to do. Mm. Is, is to make sure that their podcast is easily subscribable to from the Zoom marketplace. And there is a way of doing that. Uh, you need to put a little button on your site. Microsoft have designed a sort of special protocol to automatically subscribe people that have the Zoom marketplace to your podcast. We'll have a link on the show notes that point to uh, a rather useful website that enables, enables you to do that from a chap called Paul Colligan, who does a lot of internet stuff. Okay, what was the next news item we were going to cover, Daniel? Let's have a look. I think the, um, the thing that was kind of connected to that was the wireless download and wireless subscription, which was making me think about the, um, the Amazon kind of tool they've just bought out, the, uh, the Kindle. The, the Kindle. The, the book reader, the e-book reader, yeah. Absolutely, and it, it, the whole idea that you can you can download books wirelessly and you can subscribe to blogs and automatically download it wirelessly as well. There's been quite a lot of discussion about this in the press and the fact that everyone says, well, it's a nice idea, but there's lots about it already and it's rubbish. I haven't actually played with one yet, but I mean, everyone has said to me that the key thing is that it's about the size of a paperback and it's about the same thickness as a paperback and um, it costs 100 times more than a paperback. And then you have to pay for subscription things. So I don't know, it's one of those things. But we say all this, and there's been lots of negative press about it, but it's sold out the second it came out. So. It's sold out, just like the Zoom keeps selling out. Of course, of course just for those of you, just take you from the ground up, the, the, the Kindle is an e-book reader. So it's basically like a little tablet, and you can download books onto it. It's got loads of storage. It uses e-paper as its screen. So it's not quite like the screen you'd expect to see on an iPhone or an iPod. This is slightly different sort of feel to it, more like real paper. And it allows you to read books. You can subscribe to magazines. You can get your newspaper downloaded to it while it's in your handbag wirelessly, providing you're in a wireless network. And interestingly, uh, you can get blogs downloaded whenever a new um, new post is put on the blog, providing your name's um, Robert Scoble, that is, because there's, there's not many blogs on the list at the moment, but that will grow. So it's just an interesting thing that it's another device that your content could end up on 
kind of almost automatically. Your thoughts, Daniel? The interesting thing I found was that you're not paying for the wireless access. There's a network in the States at the moment. You don't pay for the access, you just pay for the downloads. And I'm not sure how that's going to work in Europe at the moment or anywhere else in the world. Mm. Um, so there are some questions over that. And I don't think it's actually available anywhere else apart from the US currently. I don't think it is. I'm not sure when it's going to become available in the UK yet. So I think that's, that's quite an interesting model. But again, as Andy says, it's really exciting. There's these different places now where your content's actually becoming available. Mm. And... If you look at a, a search, a set of search results in Ask, um, these be Ask Jeeves, you've now got podcasts and video and media, all those different medias mixed up. And Google is moving towards doing exactly the same thing of listing podcasts and video and audio and all the different things in one place as well as normal search results. So what that's telling us is that if you aren't doing anything apart from a normal website, no blog, no podcast, no video, you're eventually going to miss out on some other kind of traffic that you could be getting because people will be searching, getting all these results, and you're not going to be there. So getting involved in all these different media types, social media, audio, video, is becoming more and more important. Yeah, it's spreading itself out through as many channels as possible. Let's move on to a really interesting story. Uh, let's finish off this little batch of news stories with... Uh, well, let me just tell you about it, and you can make your own mind up. It's, um, it's kind of, um, we're not quite sure if it's viral marketing, or it's a hoax, or the aliens have landed. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh, because this is serious stuff. There have been reports coming in for about a year now around the US of these strange drones, they call them drones, that have been spotted flying around. And they're described as, as uh, very weird-looking ring-shaped objects with sort of bits coming off the ring and one particularly long bit coming off the ring which makes them look rather like a darting dragonfly. So we've got these weird metallic sort of devices flying around. There's pictures on the internet. If you Google drone, uh, you'll probably find a few. There's been blogs written. There's even one quite well-known science reporter who has reported on them. There are people coming out of the woodwork saying they've seen them and all sorts of things. And then in June uh, this year... A thing called the Carrot document emerged. This is a Carrot spelt C-A-R-E-T. Try Googling that, you'll probably find it. It was a chap who named himself Isaac, who claimed to be an ex-military person, and he claimed that these devices were reverse-engineered alien technology captured from crashed UFOs, and that they were a kind of device that had been developed from that. And he went on to describe a sort of very intricate uh, series of symbols or language, if you like, which when you wrote it or engraved it onto the right sort of substrate in the right sort of field would cause this substrate to actually act out rather like a program executes a piece of code. It would act out these instructions according to which symbols you had put on it. And this was the main technology behind these devices. And this carrot document has pictures and photographs of these weird bits that allegedly were recovered from alien spacecraft. And it shows some of the symbols and and very intricate diagrams of these symbols. And it went on like this. So, of course, there was a lot of speculation. You know, there were groups of people saying, well, you know, this could be real. There were groups of people saying this, it must be a hoax. Um, and there was a very small group of people, <laughs> maybe there weren't so small, saying, well, this could be a viral marketing campaign for something. Um, and then, would you believe it, lo and behold, I think quite recently, I think in the last few weeks, a company called Alienware produced a or released their Area 51 M17X gaming laptop. 
not so odd you would think until you look at the laptop and you see that it has these symbols engraved all over the back <laughs> so somebody approached this is where it get, where we get a bit of a twist in the tail because somebody approached Alienware and said fantastic viral marketing campaign you did really well tell us about it and of course Alienware turned around and said well, actually, we didn't instigate this at all. We just we just borrowed the symbols because we thought they were quite cool and put them on our uh, on our laptops. So it's either it was a viral marketing campaign they're just denying it, or it wasn't, and they were kind of riding off the back of the hype, which is interesting. What are your thoughts, Dan? Well, uh, the the brilliant thing is I've seen quite a few of these recently where people are kind of doing things where you can't quite tell if it's real or if it's fake. And there was some other laptop advertising where. Um, they were supposed to be kind of lab research videos of people dropping a laptop and it hovered just before it hit the floor and they got more and more kind of silly but it does work really well because people engage and they're trying to work out if it's real or not and I think it demonstrates this thing of that to really do something that gets some audience you need to be quite clever about it and actually really really thinking about what you're doing and it ties in with something we're going to talk about later on about how to actually leverage social media and people engaging in a slightly different way so I think First of all, it's clever. Whether or not it was viral marketing in the first place or they latched onto it, I think it's brilliantly clever either way. Mm-hmm. And I think you just need to have a look at what else is going on in the media if you want to come up with an idea like this and think, okay, what could you piggyback on and what else could you be using? There's a lot of things that are out there that could actually be quite cleverly used. So I think it's brilliant. I think it's a really clever idea. And uh, I just like the idea that it's taken on a bit of a life of its own as well and that you have to remember you can't control these things entirely. So I think it's good. But the thing that really interests me about this is this, this idea of piggybacking off a buzzy, mm. top, even if it is quite niche, because this whole carrot thing, carrot document, uh, quote unquote, episode, I don't think it's I don't think it's mainstream. I think it's quite niched amongst yeah. UFO enthusiasts and sort of people who uh, subscribe to the sort of aliens have been with us for years type conspiracy theories. So it doesn't have to be mainstream, but you can still ride off the back of it. I don't know how successful it's been for Alienware. I don't have any figures, but I just found it a very, very interesting story. Anyway, moving on, Dan, what are we talking about this morning? Um, I wanted to start off with two kind of interrelated topics. First of all, just talk a little about online advertising and branding, because the way the market is shifting slightly. And then we're going to tie that into how that relates to social media and to places like Facebook. Just to start off, the whole thing was that Internet marketing was supposed to be this amazing holy grail of marketing because you could measure click-through rate and sales directly and therefore you knew if you were spending £100 and you are making £1,000, you had your return on investment and you carry on spending more money, which is a lovely idea and you can do that. That can work really well and we've always talked about that in the past. But if you look at online advertising, the online advertising market has grown and grown and grown and now in the uk um, it's reached about two billion pounds so it's absolutely massive okay but at the same time as it growing click-through rates so the amount of people actually clicking on online ads are declining and declining and declining and they've gone down below the average kind of one two percent that you might have expected a few years ago down below 0.25 percent which was kind of the standard kind of average and what we'll talk about a bit more, I mean, on social media sites, the click-through rates are 0.03 or 0.04%. Right? It's a fraction of a percent. It is absolutely tiny. Mm. So why is it that people are spending all this money on online advertising if click-through rates are going down all the time? Now, is, is this because we're seeing an extension of the long tail to an extremely long tail? In fact, it should have its own... I think it should have its own name. I, should think, it, I think it should be called the long wisp. Uh, well, I think the thing is that there's... It's, it's more to do with the fact that for years we're used to advertising and um, billboards and that kind of thing building up people's awareness of a brand or a product. 
Okay. And that's been effective for years. People say, oh, they don't watch ads, but they do build an awareness of products and associations with products. And people have started to use the web in the same way. If they're using a social networking site and they associate it with a certain brand all the time, they will actually probably lean towards that brand a bit more, depending on how it's placed and how it's done. Similarly, if they use a website about a particular topic and that is sponsored by somebody or has their branding on it the whole time, people associate with the brands more. And it's actually being seen as a more mature model now that people are using the web for brand building, like they always have in TV and billboard and magazine advertising. So the web industry has shot itself in the foot a bit in that we've always relied on this click-through rate thing, and lots of salespeople have relied on that when they're selling online advertising. We do lots of training for salespeople and tell them how they sell online advertising, and it always used to be click-through rates, number of people clicking. But that's declined, so it makes it harder and harder to sell the ads. But the ads are working for people. And it has come down to the fact there's been some studies recently that have shown if you see an ad a number of times on websites you associate with, well, you will have the same brand associations and uplift in liking a brand and how you feel about a company as you would from seeing it on TV or using a billboard at the end of the day. So it's two things. One, click-through rate and cost per click and all the stats that we use are really important because they are the kind of bedrock of how internet marketing has worked. But we need to start thinking about brand metrics as well and the way brand metrics are normally recorded is to do some research before somebody experienced load of advertising and afterwards and seeing how they feel about a brand do they feel better or worse about it and so on and so forth which is actually a bit more fluffy than the normal click-through rates Mm. and stats that we're used to okay Mm. but it can be measured still so there's a bit of a shift in the market because we were so reliant on all these click-through rates and things like that to go our marketing is much more better online than it is elsewhere because you know we have click-through rates Mm. Well, this is interesting because now we're talking about brand and all the things we, all, we used to be speaking about with other forms of advertising. So there's a bit of a shift in the market, which I actually think is a good thing because you will always get to the point where lots of people will see an ad, but they won't necessarily click on it. But that doesn't mean they're not interested. It just means they're not at the point of purchase. And this brings me on to my second kind of topic or point I want to talk about. Lots of people are putting ads on social networking sites like Facebook and MySpace and Bebo. But as I've just mentioned, the click-through rates are astonishingly low because people aren't going to shop on Facebook or MySpace. That's not at all what they're doing. So you do build brand awareness, and it's really good to build brand awareness. If you're on Facebook, for example, and they're not doing it at the moment, but if a particular brand decided they wanted to be on Facebook all the time, you would then associate, and you may have good connotations towards that because you know, you're using Facebook for networking with friends and all that kind of thing. So if it's associated with what you're doing, it can work well. Mm. What's shifted, though, is people are now building uh, little applications called widgets Mm. that plug in to Facebook. And Facebook has opened up its API. And the API allows you to build little programs and applications that work within Facebook. And these are being used in some quite interesting ways because you can't just do push advertising. The idea of putting an advert in place and just pushing products at people because people aren't interested in the products at that time. So what you have to work out is when they're interested in something and give them exactly what they want exactly when they're looking for it. An element of timing. Yeah, there is a real timing element and very niche focus. So, for example, if you are a fan of a particular band um, and you're on their Facebook profile, then if there's a little widget that tells you what their latest 10 tracks were, and, for example, I'm making the ideas up as I go along here, but if you had top 10 tracks and then a vote for who thought, you know, all the previous fans thought was the best track... If you could click on that and download it automatically from iTunes without having to go to iTunes, which is the key thing, mm. 
that's when you're going to actually get a lot of purchasing online. And Bebo has done a, a deal that you can buy iTunes music directly through Bebo without having to go through to iTunes. So it's actually getting the right kind of product to people at the right time without actually distracting them from what they're doing to a certain extent as well. So let me get this right down. These widget builders are people who are building a widget to go on, for example, their Facebook profile that dredges up, maybe that's the wrong word, or somehow syndicates or sort of collaborates together things that they make or market and present presents them in such a way to somebody looking at their profile that they can purchase them more easily. Is that right? That's right. But what you have to... Um, the Bebo deal means that if you're on a certain page, you won't have to have loaded the widget. It will be on the page anyway. Okay. Oh, okay. But the idea with widgets is that it offers you something of value. So the, the widget has to give you something and then may make some profit through advertising or through selling something. Okay. There is a show coming up in Brighton very shortly. I think it's next week called Widgety Goodness. The thing is, this show's coming up, so we're going to try and collect a bit of information because it's a very upcoming area at the moment. And we have got um, Jen, who is one of our consultants, is probably going to do a bit of talking on our next podcast on the whole thing. But while I was speaking to someone this morning that's done a, a really clever widget that literally it goes onto your um, Facebook profile and if you know a thing or two about um, web development, you can ask questions and you can answer questions. So you answer a question, you ask a question, and then everyone can answer the question, and then people can vote on the answers. And if you have a really good answer, then you'll get kind of points for answering the questions. And it kind of builds a competitive element into the whole that thing so as well. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So there's lots of little ideas at the moment, and it is it's very early stages. But it's worth just considering the fact that with click-through rates getting that low you need to do something a bit smarter when you're looking at social networking. On on advertising, you can do brand building, you can do brand building through social networks, but if you really want to have an impact, you need to do something clever, okay? So if you look at um, what a lot of the mobile phone companies are doing at the moment, you can phone a telephone number, we can go to a website, and you get free treats. So you'll get 100 extra messages on your account, or you get 100 extra minutes. And lots of people are giving things away, Mm. not for the sake of saying, look how good our product is, but to make you feel good about the brand. So again, it's about brand building and it's about giving you positive um, associations with a brand by just doing something you know, that is actually useful to you. Dan, has anyone come up with, t- with the uh, term widget marketing yet or ha- have they heard it first on internet marketing? Widget marketing, I think you heard it here first. Because of course, podcasters need to be aware of this as well because one, one thing that podca- people that make podcasts can do if they're a bit savvy on the old uh, ones and zeros is make a widget which people can just paste into their site that perhaps has the your latest episode or the latest couple of episodes because people always want content and with a nice big fat logo underneath it that when they click will of course bring them to your site I think that's absolutely it so it is all about content everything we've ever spoken about has always been about content and the content is just shifting the other things you can think about are user reviews if there's a widget that allows you to review a product no matter what website you're on or you know where you are on the web and there's lots of talk about how different widgets are going to work on different websites and that kind of thing um, reviews become a really big important issue as well so there's lots of work going on at the moment kind of building widgets that will help you look at reviews but it's not just about you know selling products directly and brand building if you think about things like linkedin where you have um, people using LinkedIn.com for building up kind of um, work networks and networking online. Recruitment is very expensive. And lots of people are using LinkedIn for recruitment. 
So there's people looking at building widgets that will allow to help with the recruitment process. You can tag people, say you thought they were good or not. It will can compare different things and you know, on their profile. So there's lots of applications to this. It is at a fairly early stage. Um, ideas are going to be the key thing at the moment. There's lots of people playing around with new things. But it does fit in with the overall market of online advertising and building brand, doing something a bit you know a bit smart and thinking about what's useful to the user at a particular point they're at and it comes down to the same things of point of where they are in the buying cycle are they trying to buy are they researching are they just not interested but you're flagging things up for them and again thinking smart about how you're working with that kind of stuff daniel is there anything further to say on this topic um only that we'll come back to it next time because we've got this widgety goodness show coming up and i think we'll go through it in a bit more detail and talk about some of the things that people are really doing and what's working and some of the practical ways of actually how you build these applications in the first place do we do it just out of interest do we know if that widgety goodness show is going to be streamed anywhere on the net if not it's physical location and time say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. If you want to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, but I shall find out. Perhaps we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think if we can, yeah, record it into the end of the show, that'll be brilliant. Okay, well, if there's nothing further to say on on uh, this topic, shall we just briefly move on to? We've had a a um, a uh, an email. Yeah. Uh, asking a question. Would you like to read the question out, Dan, and let's try and answer it? Yeah, absolutely. This was from Adrian Rowe um, from Red Sea Marketing, and they've just started doing some podcasts themselves, um, and very kindly said this ours was one of the best ones they could find. Uh, they've all also been listening to Marketing Voodoo, which I listen to as well, which is a great podcast. Is that a good one? I haven't listened to that yeah, one. Marketing Voodoo is probably the other one other than ours that I would say is of, of a high quality. I must subscribe. Um, he also said there's some woeful efforts out there as well, so I, I couldn't agree more. Um, what... There were two key questions, I think, that were being asked, and I think I'm going to hand these to Andy when I've asked them out because Andy's our kind of podcasting expert. They've produced three podcasts now. 
um, which is the Marketeer's Guide to Web 2.0, but they're hitting a couple, couple of barriers. First of all, they've tried a couple of times to update the XML feed to add in their episode for iTunes, but it doesn't seem to recognize it. So any advice would be welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second part is that the image that they created for iTunes appears in the full screen size, but not at any of the other resolutions. Mm. So um, I know there's a couple of kind of possibilities where these issues are being caused mm. and also that there's, there is one solution that would help with both of them as well. Well, let's have a look. I mean, he's basically got two problems here. Let's let's tackle the RSS problem first. Now, he doesn't say explicitly, but it sounds like he's manually editing the XML, the RSS feed, uh, which of course is written in XML, every time he adds an, an episode. Nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with it at all. You just have to really keep your wits about you because it is so easy to make one very tiny mistake and it only needs a space in the wrong place it only needs a wrong character it only needs one of those little angle brackets to be the wrong way around or or, as i say a space in front of it and the whole feed will will just sort of flop over and not work and the the way you notice that in itunes is when it tries to update uh, you get that little sort of orange disc going around as it looks at the feed and then it just goes to a little circle with an explanation splat in the middle of it meaning there was something wrong. I'm not going to tell you what was wrong, but there was something wrong with the feed, or I couldn't find the feed, or I couldn't find one of the files. It could be a number of things. One approach would be to just go through that feed with a fine-tooth comb, i.e. your eyes, a fine-tooth eye, and look for errors in it. Common errors are in the description, putting characters that it doesn't like in the description. Spaces of the wrong. You're, you're, you're piping up. I can see. Oh, Hang yeah. on. Date format. So I remember looking through oh, yeah. one of our fields and just finding that the date format was either wrong or I'd put a space in the dates in, the, in slightly incorrect places. And um, it was infuriating because we had 30 podcast entries to check. Ah. So the other thing is perhaps it might you might have done a typo in the URL to the actual location of the MP3 file. And a good way to test that is just cut and paste it into your browser and check it. Can actually it actually finds it. You can verify your feeds. There are a number of tools online where you type in the address of your feed and it sort of goes through it and says, yeah, that's cool, that's a proper RSS version 2 feed with no errors, or actually it's all right apart from just here where you've actually got this bit wrong, you need to change that. So that might be worth doing. But what I would suggest, and and I'll come on to the second problem in in a minute, but I'll tell you about a solution that would probably solve both of them. Manually ed- editing RSS feeds is a bit of a pain, and there is a way of you not having to do that, of that RSS feed being generated automatically for you, and that's to use WordPress. WordPress is free software. It's blogging software. As long as you're a bit website savvy and you can upload a steaming pile of code in the right place, um, it's fairly straightforward to do. All you need is a MySQL database and uh, the hosting company needs to be able to run PHP, which most of them can, to be honest with you. So if you used WordPress with a particular plugin called PodPress, this generation of the RSS feed and handling of the pictures, which is your second problem, which I'll come on to in a minute, are handled automatically for you, which means that every time you, you put a new entry in and you upload your podcast, you just tell it the name of the file, where it is, and put the description in as you would normally for a blog entry, and that RSS feed is automatically updated for you, so you don't have to worry about that. So that I would suggest that's possibly the way to go if you want to automate it. The second problem you've got is with the image. Now, all I can really say there is that the rule for images are that they have to be 300 pixels square and they have to be a JPEG. 
So I can't really think of any other reason why it wouldn't be working. Going back to using WordPress with the PodPress plugin, WordPress and PodPress handle this very, very well. In fact, they allow you to upload to have available um, your artwork in two sizes, uh, a 300 pixel square and a 144 pixel square, uh, which is very, very iTunes friendly. So again, that aspect of it is handled for you if you use WordPress with this PodPress plugin. So that is not knowing the full details of Adrian's problem. That is the advice I would give. Any comments from you, Daniel? Yeah, I completely agree. The The WordPress um, approach works really well and does make things very easy. And um, I've had similar problems with it, kind of RSS feeds and just them having small typos and stopping it from working. So I definitely think it's a good way of doing it. And if you've got a um, piece of software that can just check the, the XML um, just to kind of validate it get some validators out of this if you search on xml validators um then you'll generally find quite a few bits of free software out there yeah there's quite a few of them online actually yeah absolutely so but yeah i think it's it's, um i definitely go down the wordpress route it's a nice easy way of publishing and there's easy way of people finding information as well well i think that's all from uh, from daniel so daniel thank you very much for your input today Thank you, any, any last words uh, announcements no, etc well no not really I think just a few things to look forward to in terms of a bit more stuff on widgets and um, social media and uh, we'll be doing a lot of training on social media and quite a few interesting things will be coming out so I'll have some interesting things to say next time Daniel Rails, thank you very much indeed thank you now just before we go on to the next segment I must talk about our main sponsor, Academy Internet, who have been with us from the start. Now, Academy Internet are a full-service online marketing agency who cover the full spectrum of online marketing activities and objectives. It's all about using the technology to make your business work, and they're happy to guarantee that they will improve your return by at least 30%. You can find them at www.academyinternet.com, or you can call them on 44 if you're outside the UK, or 01273 Okay, let's move on to that interview now with Mark Haverstock. Uh, Sound quality a little bit dodgy, I'm afraid. Uh, We did it in Borders Caf in uh, Brighton. Rather a lot of background noise, but you can hear what Mark's saying. Enjoy. Just to put a sort of picture on where we are here, uh, Mark has a, a business. And the reason that I wanted to speak to Mark was because... He's not exactly using the internet for marketing, but he's certainly using the web for delivery. Although you may disagree with certain parts of that, in which we'll have a heated debate later. Um, and I think he's using the web so effectively for delivery, and such a lovely business model, that I just felt I had to cover it on a podcast about internet marketing, although it isn't strictly internet marketing, it's more like internet delivery. But I bet there's a marketing element to there as well. So Mark, let's just... Um, the name of the business first. NetLearn Languages the name of the business, started back in 1998, which I guess puts us in the category of early adopters of internet technology, for connecting teachers and students uh, to learn languages. So a real live teacher, on the end of the line, on the internet line if you like, speaking to each other, but also, and this is the magical difference, collaborating together with an on-screen whiteboard, a shared whiteboard, that you can put objects on, move them around and so on, that can be pictures some text, drawings, sketches and so on. It's a bit like working, uh, you know, standing next to your teacher at a whiteboard, a real world whiteboard, but with the added convenience of being able to move things around once you put them up on the whiteboard. That's the the basic model. 
we'll come on to um, the details of how it works in, in, in a short while. I'm, I'm just interested in um, how it all kicked off, Mark, because you say it started in, what was the year it started in again? 1998, and yeah, my colleague at the time, I was working in a language school in central London, came up with the idea of teaching English online. Admittedly, this was, this was in fact late 1997, when he pioneered, if you like, teaching English using text conferencing, what a lot of people would call chat now. And he had a, a group of students around Europe. They, they'd been his classroom students in the past, and having all gone back to their various home countries, he kept in touch with them, put them together in, in a virtual classroom, if you like, and carried on teaching them English using text conferencing. And it worked magically well. And uh, he came up with the idea of developing an internet business at first on behalf of the college where we used to work, but they weren't interested. They were, you know, they were so well vested in classrooms. How short-sighted of them! I guess so. Uh, you know, they had their classrooms and their buildings and so on, and they wanted to maximise that investment. So they weren't interested in developing an internet presence. So Eric, my co-director, is Eric Baver, approached me. I had already left the school some months before, but he knew that I had a business background. Approached me and said, uh, you know, I've got this business model using the internet for teaching English at first and see what happens later. And, uh, you know, to cut a long story short, at the end of, a, I think it was an hour and a half telephone conversation of him describing it, he said, do you want in? And I said, who do, who do I have to kill? And the rest is history. That was, uh, we had that conversation in January 1998 and we established NetLearn Languages in April. 1998. So Eric started to become very savvy around using internet tools. So we started off with what was very much cutting-edge technology then, but now, you know, it seems like using <laughs> blunt instruments for surgery, and, and took it from there. So very, very quickly, we were going beyond just text conferencing. It became use of the voice, you know, voice over IP, which kicked off in... So, well, later on in 1998, and also in, indeed using video, which a lot of people you know, think, especially back then, how on earth did people connect with any kind of you know, quality using video back then? And in fact, the quality was awful. You know, it was a bit like... Uh, well, that was going to be my next question. My next question was going to be, how on earth did people connect in those days <laughs> looking at video over the internet? <laughs> it looks like we've got our answer. It was just very poor quality. Well, like a big sort of one pixel re- representing someone's face or something. Something like that. Okay, you know, pretty, pretty awful. Uh, like um, slightly moving, not always moving, uh, passport photo on, on screen. Although, yeah. as the old saying goes, if you look like your passport photo, you're probably too ill to travel. And I think it was very much the case of uh, the pictures, the picture quality we got, we got back then. But it certainly, for whatever the quality was of the video, it did confirm to our students that, you know, just a reminder that is a real life teacher at the other end of the line, which is key to the, the process and the success, if you like, of online learning. And presumably it was successful, presumably even though the face of the instructor was represented by 16 pixels uh, and was half an hour lagging behind the audio, um, presumably they were really into it and really liked it, uh, I'm guessing. Is that true? Absolutely. I mean, ap- apart from feeling as though they were joining us as pioneers of using the internet for something very creative, a creative new form of learning, it was very much a case of you know, the, the rapport that was developed online very quickly. And I think the picture is part of that. Interestingly, even today, with, uh, you know, good bandwidth available to virtually all, most of the time our teachers and students don't bother using the video connection. It doesn't form an important part of the teaching process, you know, actually being able to see your teacher, which surprises a lot of people. And in fact, surpri- has surprised us over the years. The important thing 
is good voice connection and the collaboration on screen on the whiteboard, not so much the video. The video helps establish rapport at the very, very beginning of a course of lessons. So people will um, have the video switched on for, say, the first five minutes and they'll just whack it off to conserve a bit of bandwidth and just go audio from there on, and the whiteboard, of course. Yeah, that would be the typical format. Uh, once, they're, once they're up and running, they're into you know, sort of the, the rapport thing, the learning, the learning process. Bearing in mind, a lot of uh, our clients, who are mostly senior executives, senior managers in large companies around Europe, one of their main aims for learning this new foreign language that they're learning, which is 10 languages now, is to do business online or over the phone with other colleagues or um, you know, prospective clients and clients in turn in other countries around Europe. Okay, so let's, let's, um, let's go through how this business works then and, uh, and um, see how, how maybe people could apply it to their business. So let's imagine that um, I want to learn, um, um, say, Spanish, and I come to you. First of all, how would I discover Net Learn Languages? How are you promoting the URL, the business, the concept? Well, obviously, our main means of promotion is uh, via, via, the, you know, via the website, netlearnlanguages.com. We also have the URL nll.co.uk, so we can be picked up you know, around Europe or around the UK. We also have a partner firm in Belgium. They have real-world language schools around the world. And, uh, in fact, it's high-end stuff, so they tend to get to executives. And they're, they're, the, they're, you know, they're the party, if you like, with the blue-chip list of clients who they refer to us. The, these are clients who are like Procter & Gamble or Rectocell or MasterCard. Barclay Card, Pepsi Cola, and so on. So we've never heard of any of them. Are they, are they quite big companies? Or? <laughs> Apparently, they're pretty big. And I'll uh, have to look them up, actually. <laughs> and uh, having, you know, for for some years, been sending their their people to our, our Belgian partner firm to learn languages in the classroom. They they were begging. Uh, our partner firm is called Serrant Lingua. They, they were starting to beg Serrant Lingua. When are you going to start doing something with the internet to support what you're doing in the classroom? So Serron made the decision about six years ago to approach us to be their internet partner, if you like. So we add in that component. So, so basically, much of our business is direct referrals from Serron Lingua. Uh, well, I, I would describe it generically as strategic alliances. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And in fact, it's gone beyond that because about four years ago, they actually bought a significant shareholding in us. So it's to really create that marriage, if you like. Okay, so let's go back to, I want, I want to learn Spanish. I, do I phone you up? Do I go to the website? How do I sort of enrol myself? Well, Andy, any of the above. Uh, we have um, a director of studies who, who takes, who fields, if you like, uh, prospective clients and um, then puts them in touch with the, the relevant teacher. Uh, she, she, she would first do an induction process for the student, um, teaching them how we use the, the online tools. And it takes, uh, you know, the princely time of 20 minutes to learn how to use uh, the tools that we use, then puts them in touch with the teacher, and the teacher will then begin a process of doing a needs analysis, which is basically the, your purpose for learning Spanish, when you know your time scale for learning. So we put together a course bespoke for your needs. And this teacher would they be a real Spanish person in real Spain? A real live human Spanish person working from Spain, and that's another magical component component of what we do, and who you would create online appointments with if you like yeah. uh, to be together at the same time online at the appointed time now most of our teachers work from home they again they mostly have other jobs because um, we don't particularly want people who are 
who would be keen to sit at the computer all day uh, teaching. So they, they typically they, they have classroom teaching jobs as well, or jobs in other sectors. And um, so when they're online, they're fresh. And, and also the lessons tend to be rather short. So typically it would be a maximum of an hour lesson. It's a very focused way of learning. So, so I, would, I would talk to your induction lady first, and then she would put me directly in touch with a, a suitably, suitably chosen um, Spanish teacher in Spain. And from there on, I would have my appointments, my online appointments. What is each... What would I experience? Do I do I would I then log on to the to the website and go to a special login page, or what would I see? How does it all work? You would in fact have um, uh, we would send you a link, uh, you know, just a, a hot link, which you would click on, which at, at the appointed time for the lesson, which would connect you directly to your teacher. Uh, in fact, the teacher could call you. It's up to the client whether whether the, the teacher comes calling to the, the client or, or vice versa. We normally recommend that the client, when they're ready at the at the appointed time, plus or minus a couple of minutes, then clicks on the hot link and that connects them with their teacher. Now, what just out of interest, what what services are you using to achieve this? I mean, we've heard a lot. I mean, there's a lot of buzz at the moment about sort of TalkShoe and a number of other um, online um, sort of uh, real-time sort of webinar type software. What, what are you using for your business? Well, in fact, my co-director, Eric, would be able to, you know, fill in the list that, that, you, that you started there. He's forever keeping up to date with the other possible technologies that we could use. But in the end, we've stuck with the same thing for the last, oh, God, eight years, which is NetMeeting. So uh, a package from Microsoft, which is a video conferencing package. And uh, although we are now starting to add the, the option of, of uh, our clients using Skype in conjunction with NetMeeting. So tip, the typical scenario now would be for the client to use either Skype or the NetMeeting uh, voice facility, plus the NetMeeting whiteboard, and that works exquisitely well. So we now have a, a, a sort of, courtesy of the, the web or the internet, a one-to-one meeting of minds, student and teacher, which is what I absolutely love. And the other, the other thing is that you just put me straight in touch with the teacher. You know, it, it's such a lean business model, effectively. And presumably it's working really well. Well, in fact, in the early days, the needs analysis was done by the director of studies. But we found that wasn't particularly useful because um, whilst they were establishing rapport, if you like, um, that was like putting into delay the commencement of the rapport with the teacher. So the sooner we put people in touch with the teacher, we now find, uh, the quicker the rapport begins. And rapport is said to be the most important thing in the teaching process. So that works very well. Now I'm interested in, I'm guessing here, I mean I've known you for a little while Mark and we've had quite a few offline conversations. It sounds like you had this kind of policy of continually fine-tuning your business operation. Is this true? Is this, is this the way you went forward? There was certainly you know, a long process of fine-tuning. We've now come up with that, that, that magical model that works so well. We've had so much positive feedback over the nine years that we've been you know, using this model uh, from clients and, and so on who have said that this, this works incredibly well. It's like all the benefits of having a real teacher, because in the end, if you want to learn a, a language, especially a language, effectively, I think that you need a real teacher. I mean, there's lots of click here, click there stuff, interactive stuff, especially you know, with, the, with the web now, uh, and free, if you like. But um, you know, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch, and I think you know, time spent doing the interactive you know, facilities, 
of learning online may have some use, but it doesn't really put you on the spot of having a real person to interact with. We, we do that, plus you know, adding in all the convenience of, of doing it online. <coughs> so it's a magical combination. Well, it's a fantastic business model, and I'm sure you would agree that the scope for other forms of learning must be immense with this. So thank you very much for talking to us, Mark, and I'll leave the last word with you. Thank you very much, Andy. I mean, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, if you really are keen to learn Spanish, then we're up for the challenge of, of doing that for you. Thanks a lot. And just the website one more time. NetLearnLanguages.com Thank you very much, Mark Haverstock. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. I do hope you enjoyed it. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so if you've got any questions or comments that you would like aired on the show, do send them to info at academyinternet.com and also feel free to send in MP3 files, which we'll play as long as they're uh, not rude. If you're a subscriber, we'd like to thank you for your valuable time. If you haven't subscribed, then there's a couple of ways that you can have this podcast delivered to your earbuds automatically. You can find Internet Marketing on iTunes or at the academyinternet.com or wireworldmedia.co.uk slash IM for mother websites and follow the subscription buttons. We'd also love to receive comments via iTunes. See you soon. to understand how marketing is changing and how that will affect your brand, you need Future Proof, the podcast from Kantar that tells you how to find growth. Created in conjunction with Side Business School at Oxford University, the Future Proof podcast provides a unique perspective on what truly makes a difference. To understand what's winning in marketing, subscribe to Future Proof, a Kantar podcast now. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.